stuff. I don't always know what it is, but when I've not heard from you for a bit, or you're like quiet in chance, I'm like, real shit must be going on. Or they're rewatching my case. <laughs> Both can be true. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Ride and Barricades, a lamest podcast. My name is Nima Martin. I use they them pronouns. It definitely hasn't been a while. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's the intro of almost every episode these days. <laughs> we were doing so good for so long. We did like a year and then it fell off. And then, yeah, anyway, we, we can, yeah, whatever. Uh, apologies, it de- but for nothing because we haven't been gone. I don't know what you're talking about. I had a really funny thing happen to me when I went to Senate House Library the other day um, and I took out a book uh, and like I'd read it before but like needed to read it again to check some citations and opened and found um, a receipt being used as a bookmark and then looked at the other books uh, like on the it was like the library receipt and it was like oh my god the creolization of theory Masks of Difference, Cultural Representations in Literature, Race in Translation, Le Miserable and Its Afterlives, The Color of Liberty. Wow, this person sounds so cool. Like, I want to read whatever it was that they were writing. And then I looked at the top and it said, uh, Nemo Martin <laughs> took this out in 2020. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't remember reading like half of these books. Okay. <laughs> so um, I think that I'm really cool, clearly. <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> that would be in the like, not Ghibli movie. Who's the one who made the one about the chair? Because oh. he wanted to make it about lesbians, but yeah. he had to make it straight. So he was like, it's a chair instead. Something Shinko? Makoto Shinkai? Yeah, Makoto Shinkai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it would be, it would have been that your past self was the one who saw the receipt in there and was like wow this person's so cool I'm gonna read those and then because the work that they must be working towards is so cool and then then you realize after writing the thing that it was you were your mentor the whole time (laughs) it's so true it's like the time loop thing yeah and because senate house the the cat room yeah like I can just really imagine the beautiful shots oh my that would God, be yeah. in that in the artist and that art style of like yeah. of this journey for you like the whole thing it's all playing out in my head and it's beautiful <laughs> yeah because the cat room has like these brown leather sofas in and in the evening it does get the like it's got the windows that have the like shafts of light that come in you can definitely see the like the dust marts and the, yeah. and the air and how glittering they would be. Yeah, yeah. And just, like, the swell of music. And uh, in, in there as well, there is, like, it's not a full, like, winding staircase, but there is, like, a metal staircase that goes up to the second level. You can clearly see someone coming mm-hmm. down and turning. <gasps> there they are. <laughs> this is the back of them. in a really distinctive yellow... Uh, is it a yellow velvet coat that Jean Valjean wears? Am I imagining now that it's velvet? Yeah, it does have a yellow coat. I don't think it's velvet. I think oh, I'm you're thinking about the I'm thinking the about chair. the velvet chair. Well, yeah. I'm combining <laughs> the two ideas in this as the Easter yes. egg for the viewers yes. who are like, "Oh my God, we're getting yellow chair and vel- the yellow velvet chair and the yellow coat in one." And then at some yeah. point, the you who is going through time normally acquires <laughs> that coat. <laughs> We're back, baby. This made me feel so happy. <laughs> this has been... Uh, what role is this? Screenwriter? 
Yeah. Stevie, primary researcher, screenwriter. N- yeah. Nemo's ideas, man. That's all I'm actually yeah. good for. Is Story being like, by. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you could see our combined AO3, well, if you could see mine, actually, because Nemo's is extensive. But these days, mine is mostly like writer's credit as ideas guy <laughs> on Nemo's books. <laughs> And you can tell from every time we're like, well, imagine this version of Blame Is that will definitely one day stage, for sure. 100%. Well, you know what? Speaking of being happy, actually. Wow. I I wanted to give a fun fact, though, before, but I ruined your tangent, so I don't know what to do. Well, I'm happy to hear your fun facts, so you actually haven't broken the flow. Go. Okay. (laughs) So I'm reading um, the biography of Victor Hugo by Graham Robb, and it's really good. I recommend anyone who has interest in Hugo because it's Graham Robb also wrote uh, later on a uh, book about homosexuality in the 19th century. So like I'm choosing to read this with a lot of sass. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) um, so the novel like it and it also has a lot of criticisms of Hugo in it. And there's a lot of like fun things, but also a lot of sad things. And like you can actually like I'm learning a lot about Lamez through this, which I didn't think that I would. But anyway, um, this paragraph made me laugh. So uh, and it vindicates us, I think. One less flagrant fault leads to the source of the novel's unmistakable smell. Hugo was extraordinarily careless about his dates. Twice, strands of plot overshoot their meeting point with other strands, so that Jean Valjean begins his second prison sentence six months before his arrest by Javert, and Marius has still not declared his love for Cosette in February 1833, which is the month of their wedding. At one point, Hugo writes, some eight or nine years, when it would have been easy to check and supply the correct date. (laughs) Yet the sense of passing time, the undertow of memory, the wholesome interference of the past with the presence are impeccably rendered. Yeah, like basically him being like, um, yeah, Hugo fucked up with dates so bad. So every time that we've spent like an hour... (laughs) Like, engine thing to be like, I don't understand what the dates are doing right now because he said this like two seconds ago and now it's like three months later, but also they're still 17? Question mark. So he was just like, bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we were trying to figure out the timeline of like, so wait, how long was Marius stalking her? And we were like, we tried to track it back. Yeah. We came up with an answer. I couldn't tell you what that was now, but. Yeah. Well, Hugo. So. Fuck you all. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's loads of fun facts in this book. And I've wanted to like um, screenshot basically every page to be like Stevie. But I've tried to save some of them for a a future. Probably not just going through and reading out all of the fun facts. But um, yeah, it's it's been interesting. I would recommend it. That might be fun for us. (laughs) A little speci. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, we wouldn't. Maybe that author wouldn't have been so like this guy and his fucking dates. If Hugo wasn't the one who's always like, as a historian. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, then do your fucking history, bitch. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of part of what um, Graham Robb, the biographer, is d- like, does do in this. It's just like, I think he says throughout it, like, it's really hard not to really respect Hugo and how much he works, like, and how much stuff he put in Mm. but also apparently like when people sent him books he would like open to a random page and if 
that paragraph that he landed on didn't interest him. He turned to a different page, open it, and he'd give it three times and then close it. <laughs> and he did that with all of the books. So people would send him things and he would write reviews of the books, but it, like he would like Ooh. only read like three paragraphs. But he had such an impeccable bullshit ability that he yeah. could just like write reviews and everyone would be like, oh my God, that is so poignant of <laughs> you. To be fair, that is how I did some of my final essays yeah. in uni, and I like got good marks on that. So that is just if you do a or are thinking about doing an English literature degree, the that's mm. the skill you're honing is being able to read a synopsis, read four other people's reviews, and be like, right, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. But I'm not Victor Hugo, like, acclaimed man. I'm just a uni student crying on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we're built in his image. Yeah, yeah. I also learned, and this is relevant to the chapters that we're in, before, when we were recording last, I only remembered this now, but we were talking about how Hugo was, like, at one of the barricades. Oh, Yeah. Because I was like, I'm sure he's just lying that he was yeah, there, but it was yeah. true. It's worse than that, okay? So this is a potted history and like, you know, it's going to be like 70% wrong. So I'm sorry about this because I'm very excited. There were a couple of revolutions, uh, rebellions that happened at this time. One of them, Hugo was literally on the Senate. Barricades were happening and he was going to them he was on the army side and he was like yes people should be shot because the time for revolution isn't now they're not doing the proper kind of revolution he was literally on that side and then the next time it came around he was on the barricade side and then he ran away and then napoleon like and then he was like back on the senate and then he was like oh this new napoleon yeah i think we should give him a try um, he seems good. He's definitely not going to do a coup. <laughs> and then Napoleon III did a coup and he was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then he went into exile because he published a thing about Napoleon the Petit and then was like, yeah, this bitch should not be in power. And then this bitch exiled him. So I was like, oh, you really don't let on in your novel. And people don't really talk about the fact that at one point, at multiple points you were the person in power and eventually prussia invaded france eventually invaded paris this napoleon got out of power so hugo was let back in 19 years after he was first exiled which is wild because he'd already published les mis by then people tried to get him elected to be president of france (gasps) and he came in second like he was nearly going to be the president and he was like at that point, he didn't want to be because he had seen how his decisions like were used to actually do things. And he mm. was like, I don't want to actually be the person who gets... I He, he was like, I will have to be a, a dictator and I don't want to do that. Yeah. But I am going to still like uh, say that I should have been the best president <laughs> ever kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, so Perfect. like I didn't realize how close Victor Hugo... Like people really, truly wanted him to be the president of france i was like you know i thought that he had delusions of grandeur and (laughs) he was like in politics and he influenced a lot of things but he genuinely came close like he was he was in the government and he nearly became the president of france where's that like (laughs) well i feel like there's been so many fucking 
American. I'm sure we've done it in the UK too. You know, shows where it's like, what if so-and-so won this particular war or whatever? Mm, Where's mm. my what if Victor Hugo? Yeah. <laughs> Every president of France. Oh my how, god! How pretentious would he have forced everyone to be? <laughs> so he's he doesn't want the like oh when you're in power everyone like critiques you really hard. I want to yeah. be the one doing the critiquing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Being like why aren't if only someone would do something? <gasps> I can't believe <laughs> he he. I guess this came this came after he wrote Lamers then right? Mm, yeah. How I hope he was getting constant like. Oh, Monsieur Le Maire, if only you would become Monsieur Le Maire instead of, you know, you could actually do some fucking good if you, like, took this job, Jean Valjean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people were, like, showing out to his house all the time, being like, oh, my God, Mr. President. <laughs> he was like, oh, keep, don't, oh, I couldn't possibly keep calling me that. I mean, I couldn't possibly, but, yeah. I'm too humble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he wrote loads of things where he was like, it would be a shame if I were to be elected. I, I'll get everything in order just in case, but it would be <laughs> such a shame. <laughs> what a fucking guy. <laughs> what a guy. He's just such a... He's just... No one Victor Hugo is like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there was a quote, and it gets used quite a lot, which I didn't realise until reading this, which is, Victor Hugo is a madman who thinks that he's Victor Hugo. <gasps> yeah, you showed that one. That one's... <laughs> yeah, that's it's so good. <laughs> so, anyway, that was a, a long, like, I haven't been able to share fun facts about Les Mis and yeah. Hugo for a long time. We so. just have to be bottling them up, rattling around in there. Yeah. Just thinking about Les Mis all the time. Yeah, yeah. But- you know, every time I'm like, this can't get worse for me. <laughs> I was like, wow, I really wish that I could go read Les Mis Fix, but I don't want to be spoiled by the like the correct order of deaths or anything. I guess I have to fucking wait. <laughs> this from the person who will like watch episode one of a show and be like, I'm just going to go straight into the fix and read fix for things I've not interacted with i mean as must be clear to this audience from the fact that i had read lena's folks like before the me showed up but like this this was like bbc lamers all over again where i was like oh actually i can't watch past this episode because it'll be spoilers for the book which apparently i care about <laughs> well you could watch like one more episode of the bbc now <laughs> oh maybe you'd have to vet it for me do you want to go through that oh god yeah I was having to be like, where did we left off? Where did we leave off? Sorry. And where we left off was that the riots were like going off. And Victor Hugo's like, no one does riots like Perry. We're not like the other girls. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, that usually like there'll be a huge stampede down one road. But on the next road, the butcher's still open and we're all just very cash about it. Mm. possibly to set up that maybe it will be different this time mm. oh and that yeah so the procession had happened It shit was hitting the fan is where mm. we left off and yeah so speaking of, of uh, happy things I guess uh, Gavroche is back 
Yeah. Uh, 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 spending limited time left with our child. Now when like a character shows up, I'm like, like, eh. This could be the last time with you, son. (laughs) Happy to see them, fearful that they've showed up. (laughs) (laughs) Why could you not wallow in obscurity? Yeah. um, So at the moment during the insurrection, when... The people and the troops came up against each other when so when the hearse when the coffin of Lamarck was like coming through the streets and then suddenly the soldiers were all there. That sort of happening, you know, the the people at the front are gonna try and stop, but everyone at the back doesn't know what the fuck's going on. So mm. suddenly people are being pushed backwards and that causes this like terrifying surge and the crowd is just like wah and like a river filling the boulevards divided in the blink of an eye and rushing down 200 different streets. Like the force of it, everyone's just sort of being pushed out of this main thoroughfare, down little streets. It's just like chaos immediately. And while that's going on, a ragged child was just like in the area and he sees a little pistol on display outside of a bric-a-brac shop and he's like, aha, I'm borrowing this. <laughs> And he sings a lot of little songs coming up uh, to the tune of who knows, but they're all just sort of like toodly toot (laughs) (laughs) and sign scroll written on the wall. He's got you all worried. Tee hee. And that's Gavroche on his way to war Hmm. on the boulevard. He notices that his pistol doesn't have a hammer. So like it's not actually going to shoot. And then I fucking love, here's my guy. What translation? Oh, this is the translation where we could never fully know how to pronounce. The Donahue. Oh, yeah, Donahue. Yeah. Donahue translation. We go all authors, asterisks. Hugo is setting up a joke here. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love the, like, brace yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Hugo is setting up a joke here for Gavroche to hark back to at the beginning of the next chapter. The hammer <laughs> of a pistol being unshan. Which means a dog. So it does. Uh. I guess, like, because this is, this does basically turn into a three bit joke mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> over the course of like a few chapters. That it is like, at what point do you explain this to the English reader? But I just found it so fucking funny. The like, lads, brace yourselves, Hugo. He's gonna try and do a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so just like keep that in mind. Mm. Um, and when he's singing these little songs, who are they written by? We do not know. Who can tell? <laughs> uh, you're being paid an exposure. Credit to the artist. Mm. Gavroche does know a load of artists' apprentices. Mm. And is like, hang around them. So it's like, maybe he's picked some bits up. Who who could say if I, Victor Hugo, don't know, then it is unknowable. Yeah, yeah. Gavroche actually had no idea that on that rainy night where he'd taken in those two little lads to his elephant, that those were his brothers... And that he had been the agent of Providence. Hmm. So he'd seen, he'd seen his brothers in the evening and then his father the next morning. Then the next morning he had ushered the youngsters away with a bit of breakfast that he could get up, scrounged and was like, off you go to the that good mother of the street. He would look more or less brought him up. So he was like, oh, they'll be fine. But he was like, oh, you know, try and find your mother and father but like if you can't just like come back here at the same Mm. time tonight and i'll find you a meal it'll be fine Mm. he hasn't seen them in like 10 or 12 weeks and every now and again he'll be like where the devil are my two children Mm. (laughs) 
Meanwhile, he had come pistol in hand to another street and he noticed that there was only one shop open. It was a pastry shop. And I was like, did I not write in my <laughs> what's going to happen to my book that there was a pastry shop? So I was feeling like a win. I think I get a half point for that. I'll write it down. Half point for Stevie. Because mm-hmm. he's like, he can smell the, there's apple turnovers, which mm. are the specials. I can't remember what I said the special of this place was. I don't know if I got into it, but I said that they had a special. <laughs> but He's fumbling in his pockets and he has no money. So he's sad about that. To sort of get over that, he's like ripping theater posters down in daylight because he's like, ah, is this, is this some just like classic of the time, classic Victor Hugo fat phobia? Where, so Gavroche sees some portly individuals go by who look to him like men of property. So he's like, well, they probably are. Shrugs and is like, those property owners, my, they're fat. They stuff themselves, wallowing in good dinners. Fill your belly and gone with the wind. But I guess it is also, we know Gavroche is like skin and bones. So it, yeah. it's, it's the like, oh, they can afford to feed themselves. Both, probably. Yeah. Classic both. fat phobia <laughs> both as well. true. As. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we just kind of get all these little chapters of just like Gavroche vignettes of him just like up to stuff. Mm. So on the march. Brandishing his hammerless pistol is like feeling him with ardor. So he's just like shouting to himself as he's like marching around, just like talking shit. He's like, everything's fine. My rheumatism is playing up, but I'm happy, citizens. Our respectable citizens will just have to brace themselves. I'm going to hit them with subversive ditties. (laughs) (laughs) What's a police spy? A bloodhound. Crikey, let's have no lack of respect for bloodhounds. But I wouldn't give to have one for myself. So, Asterix, this is the, um, because a bloodhound, a chien, a dog, and the hammer of the pistol, a chien, a dog, if only he wishes his pistol had a hammer. Mm-hmm. So, wordplay. <laughs> Great. Good job, Hugo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's just kind of talking shit, having a good time. It's time to skim the pot. Forward, men! Let's fight, boss. I'm fed up with despotism. And then a lancer of the National Guard was riding by at that moment, but his horse fell over, as ho- horses just, like, want to die. Is yeah, why all the time. But I mm-hmm. have come to know about horses. <laughs> and Gavroche, like, immediately puts his pestle down, helps the man up, helps the horse get back up, and then he picks it back up and he's on his way again. Mm. <laughs> he's on his walk, and now he comes across four old crones gossiping in a doorway. Scotland has its trios of witches. Paris has its quartets of old gossips. Oh my god. <laughs> the croaking voices would be more or less the same. <laughs> and yeah, they're just kind of like standing on the corner. <laughs> Seem to be standing at the four corners of old age. See, senility? Going senile. Decrepitude, ruin, and desolation. <laughs> Great. The four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a nice picture of old age, Hugo. I wonder how close you're coming up on those. <laughs> and yeah, they're just kind of like chatting various things. And, and the sort of general grumblings of the people are like, oh, the butcher sc- shops are scandal. All they have is awful. One of them is like a rag, what's it called? A rag picker. So when people just chuck shit out, she goes, collects it, sees what she, mm. use she can make of it. And she's like, no one's even throwing things away anymore. 
because you just mm. got to eat everything you've got. Mm. And he comes upon them. He's like, what's this? You old girls talking politics? And they're like, oh, another <laughs> mischief maker. Like, oh, you know, can't rest without challenging authority. So he's kind of like, fuck you. Oh, and they're like in their grumblings after he they've sort of booted him off. Oh, like, I'll make sure I'm there to see you guillotined, you rascal, at this like child. Oh my god. <laughs> so you're like, okay, I guess when he's like, you sniveling old girl, blow your nozzle, you're like, I guess <laughs> no love lost between these groups. Yeah, yeah. I mean I wonder as well, like, how much of it is also the like gallows humour of of people who are like in a similar situation and mm. can rib each other in a certain way. When he's like off he goes, he's like, Oh, you're wrong to insult revolutionaries, mere <laughs> rubbish heap. This pistol is for your own good, so you'd have more good things to eat in your basket. Mm. So I guess we can see he's like, he does like sponge up the things going on around him. Mm. Like, you can imagine him hearing other people. Well, like men justifying mm. these things. Yeah. But one of them like chases after him and is like, a little bastard, that's all you are. And he's like, you know, I couldn't care less. <laughs> Forward <laughs> into battle. And then he gets melancholic and is like, <laughs> I go off. But you don't to his gun, which can't <laughs> shoot. So you're like, oh, Gavra. Good one. Why were the Tenarios ever like, he's full of jokes. Yeah, they could have, like, just make him the running, oh, gosh. He could have been more. He could have been so much more. Well, his next little adventure, chapter three of them, Mm. he's going back to that hairdresser who chased the two little boys out when Mm. all they'd gone in to be like, where's where's this street? We're looking for our parents, or we're not looking for our parents, we're looking for the person our mom said would look after us, or something Mm. like that. Yeah. But a Gavroche does not forget. <laughs> I would be this vengeful too. So in that hairdresser, the yeah, no, they do call him a hairdresser. He's speaking with the old veteran. He's doing the hair off, shaving him, barbering mm. him, and they're like chatting about the riot. This is another one of those like literally, it's all going on like a street over, but we're still getting haircuts because we're mm. like we're Perry. This is what we do. And he the he's asking the old soldier all these questions about the emperor so is like how well did the emperor mount his horse badly he didn't know how to fall so he never fell it's like oh did it was it a good horse a good horse like oh it was a good horse and you're like oh nice and then he did like the so the emperor was only one wounded once is that not so monsieur and he's, the old soldier's like oh yeah and the heel i never saw him so well turned out as on that day like a newly minted coin like oh monsieur le veteran like you must have been frequently wounded and the soldiers like me oh nothing much to speak of i only took two saber blows to the back of the neck a bullet in my right arm another in my left hip a bayonet wound just there lance thrust seven or eight of them an exploding shell crushed one of my fingers oh then at waterloo a bullet in the thigh that's all do you know i can tell you something right now oh no Victor Hugo's father was mm-hmm. a general, uh, eventually a colonel, I think. Hugo's father was a short, broad-chested man with a ruddy face and a fat nose, swerving constantly from deep dejection to violent elation, full of flattering stories about himself, delighted to have been shot through the neck and to have had two horses blown to pieces while he was riding them in battle. 
Uh, Hugo! Uh, well, because I was seeing this more as like, you know, being like, oh, I heard how amazing the Emperor was hurt that one time. Yeah. And then when you're like the actual foot soldiers who are out there in the world being like, oh, yeah, no, nothing much happened to me. Only this entire laundry list of like <laughs> shit that went down. But, you know, I'm fine. Yeah. Because like the emperor's what, like trot around one time. Mm. But the foot soldiers keep going in and in and in. But like I can also so see him being like, my daddy. <laughs> Yeah. With all his cool wounds. Like, because, so Hugo was brought up mostly by his mum, because, so his mum was a royalist and his dad was a Republican, and his dad was, like, in the army, like, doing all of the Waterloo shit and, like, fighting for uh, the Republic and Napoleon, right? Napoleon. And then his mum was, like, subverting all of that and trying to get, like... The monarchy back <laughs> and so hugo had like super divorced parents who weren't divorced <laughs> who were like fighting each other the entire time oh and through God. his childhood he was really supportive of his mother and was a royalist and then like a certain character yeah you know, it was mm. uh shifted his politics to be more like his father republican so like but was like super like also really hated his dad because his dad treated him like shit so but like this little bit of this like veteran who's like proud of himself for being shot in the neck and like who's like oh I didn't do much only blah 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 who's like so blasé about the fact that there's a rebellion going on next door is so like mm, okay yeah I see that <laughs> oh my god he's Marius <laughs> <laughs> I mean it shouldn't come as a surprise I feel yeah. like we have had that realization before it's like we had known in the past that he'd changed his opinions and that like as a young man you wish you had the ability to get the glory like your fathers did when they went into war and then you get older mm. and you're like oh glad I don't have to or whatever yeah but that's when I was like reading dusty old texts at the beginning <laughs> of this journey 20 years ago yeah. that is fun when it's the like that deeper context of like I knew there was stuff to do with his dad but not the like the super fucking divorced parents who should be mm. divorced stuff mm. that like really spices that up where you're like oh this is why you are the way you are like, you yeah yeah like Rob the biographer was like from the very beginning the idea of a royalist mother and a republican father was highly acceptable because it suggested that historical forces and not Hugo himself were responsible for his parents incompatibility uh-huh. like Rob being like super child of divorced parents like yeah. who 100% he was like mummy's little boy who yeah. like his two older brothers were like bigger and he was a really scrawny like wanted to talk about poetry all the time kind of little boy and then when mommy and daddy are fighting over the top of him, him being like, yeah, it's because one's a Republican and one's a Royalist. <laughs> and it's definitely not because of me. And also his mom's one time he started crying and his mom dressed him up like a girl and was like, this is what happens to boys oh who aren't um, masculine. So like really. <laughs> God. Yeah. They were definitely like this fucking gay boy you birth. <laughs> Yeah, literally. And then he went on to meet the straightest man in history. Mm, A little too straight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, like, he he enjoyed uh, 
the delights of the female flesh too much to yeah. be overcompensating. A hundred percent. God. If only they knew. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, maybe that's what did it to him. Yeah. Well, back to this barber and Victor Hugo's <laughs> yeah, dad. <sorry. laughs> no, this made it funnier. Uh, the hairdresser's like, oh, how splendid. I really do think that, like, on my word of honor, sooner to die, like, on the battlefield instead of in a sick bed, slowly, day by day, with drugs and poultices, like, it, I'd much sooner take a cannonball in the belly. And the soldier's like, you're a man after my own heart. And then there's a tremendous crash shaking the shop. And the barber's like, oh my god, that's one now. He's like, what? A cannonball? Here it is, says the soldier, and he picks up a pebble. <laughs> and it's got him. Gavroche running off towards the market. Because he's got the two little lads on his mind. He's like, I've got to pay my respects to that fucking hairdresser. Yeah, good. And the hairdresser's like, you see that mischief making for mischief's sake? What harm's anyone ever done to that little gutter snipe? Mm. Boo! Get him, Gavroche. Yeah. Next chappy, the child is amazed by the old man. Like this would be like if the if the framing device wasn't like we're off to go die in a revolution. <laughs> These are such you can imagine the like children's picture book of like Gavroche goes to the wall. Gavroche yeah. does a mischief. <laughs> Frog and toad kind of mm. thing. Or, yeah. So at the market, Gavroche is met up for the band led by Angelas. <laughs> Kuvarek, Kumbafer, and Fuli. I leave a fraction of a second pause for the cheers I imagine you're all doing as you hear these names come back up. Wahoo! <laughs> 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 One way or another, they were armed. And then Baharel, Jean Fauvier, had caught up to them, adding to their number. And they've all got various weapons. Like, there's a lot of guns. The, the one that I had to underline was Kuvarak with his unsheathed sword cane. Yeah! <laughs> like, everyone else is here with, like, guns and pistols. And Kuvarak's like, I've got close range. Kind of <laughs> maybe hope that I don't have to use it. Like, assuming that no one will get close enough. Here's my katana from uh, Comic-Con. Mm -hmm. uh <laughs> And at the front of their uh, procession is Fuli. Actually, no, okay, so he's not going to love long range. He's got a saber. Mm. He's at the front. He's, like, ready to go in it. And he's shouting, long live Poland! Yeah. Because <laughs> we know he fucking hated what was going on with Catherine the Great and mm -hmm. the other great fuck our guy, <laughs> Frederick. <laughs> <laughs> For them annexing into poland is that the right word just sort of taking little mm. slices yeah and that's something he feels very passionate about so i was like yeah fooey <laughs> uh, yeah yeah you're against our guy but you are our guy for being against our guy because yeah. our guy is not right he's this not time. a good guy <laughs> he's not a good guy <laughs> but you're connected to our guy so yeah. baby faith <laughs> They're cravatless, hatless, breathless, rain-drenched with gleams in their eyes um, on, on their march. And Gavrash approached them and was like, oh, where are we going? And Kuvrach was like, yeah, come along. Mm. And marching behind Fuli, or rather leaping, a fish in the stream of the riot, came Baharel. Woo! Whoa. He's in a scarlet waistcoat. 
And a dismayed passerby is like, oh my god, here comes the Reds. And they're like, and Baharel's like, the Reds, the Reds, a deft thing to be afraid of, bourgeoisie. And I was like, this is before Red was communist. Were the mm. Red Coats the English? No, it's still communist. Uh, was it? Yeah, I mean, not communist, but I think it was just the color of socialism, right? Oh, is that what you would, if you saw someone in a sort of fighting place... Is that what they would assume if to like to fear? So the red cap was a symbol of popular revolt in France going back to the Jacquier of 1358. It came associated with patriotism early in the early French Revolution due to the popularity of the tricolor cockade. Uh, okay, that does make sense. And then the Phrygian cap uh, and then red flag, blah, blah, blah. Lafayette, blah, 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 warning writers to disperse. So he'd have just been like, oh, God, hardcore revolutionaries on the way. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. anti-royalist, like, Republican. Okay, that makes sense. Well, Baharel's, like, on one, in a good way. Who's mm. like, what a daft thing to be afraid of. I don't tremble in front of a puppy. Little Reddit Riding Hood inspires no terror in me. Believe me, bourgeois. Leave the fear of red to haunt beasts. <laughs> and then he sees on the wall uh, the most peaceable announcement in the world. Permission to eat eggs. A Lenten notice addressed by the Archbishop of Paris to his flock. So end of Lent, you can eat shit again. Mm. And he tears the thing off the wall. And this one, Gavroche over. From that moment on, Gavroche began to study Baharel. Mm. And Angela was like, that was a mistake. You should have left that notice alone. That's not what we're here for. You're wasting your anger. Pot shots are no more to be fired from the heart than from the gun. And I fucking... I can't remember how much I stand Baharel before. Is he one of your favorites? Yeah. I get it. Because he's like, eat his (laughs) own Angelas. Like, that prose offended me. I want to eat eggs without being given permission to do so. You're the passionately cold type. I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do a silly one. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm not squandering anything. I'm getting myself fired up. Hercule to, like, a Latin. The <laughs> <laughs> Latin oath invoking the god Hercules. Uh-huh. I, I tore down that notice. It was only to whet my appetite. So wet. <laughs> So I do love that he's like, you know, like, I guess Angelus has kind of been like, kind of their leader for a bit. Mm. That he's like, respect you, gal, but like, I'm gonna enjoy myself and like you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I know I'm gonna die. I might as well have a little bit of fun on the way down. Yeah. And Gavrosh is struck by that word, Hercule. And he takes every opportunity to educate himself. And he felt respect for this tear it down of posters so he's like oh what does that mean and Baharel was like oh it means god damn it in latin <laughs> just then Baharel recognizes a pale young man with a black beard watching them go from a window probably a friend of the abc and he cries out to him like quick cartridges parabellum and i was like parabellum i know that from <laughs> the fix of uh, disco elysium sure do sure do well, actually, I don't know what that means, but I recognize it from showing up in all the fics of Disco Elysium. <laughs> but I've learned it means prepare for war. Civis mm. passum parabellum. If you want peace, prepare for war. Which Gavroche misinterprets it from what he hears as Latin for bell home, 
which means handsome man. So Gavroche is like, yes, indeed, a handsome man. So I love that he's like, yeah, you can't call that guy. (laughs) I support you. (laughs) Gavroche says gay rights. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And this little troupe acquires a noisy following, students, artists, young men associated with the Cougord Day, laborers, dock workers... They've got sticks, they've got bayonets, some like combefer with pistols tucked into their trousers. They, like, I just, based on the fix, <laughs> I was just like not prepared for how much combefer is ready to fucking throw down, mm. is like more personable than Anjolas. Like, in my head, I was like, on this spectrum of these boys, I had him as the more like quiet, composed. In an anime, he'd have glasses, yeah, serious yeah, smart yeah, boy yeah. type. But he's the one who's like, sit the fuck down, Marius. And yeah. he's the one that was like described as like, you would go talk to him if you needed something because like he's such a nice boy. Mm. And also he's like, here with two fucking guns. So yeah. I was like, I fucking love canon Cumberfair. Yeah, he's great. He's pretty good. Among this advancing band was an extremely aged looking man. Mm. he carried no weapon and although apparently lost in thought he was hurrying so as to not be left behind and Gavroche is like who's that and Kufrak's like some old man it was Monsieur Mabuff <laughs> there's so, a desperation in your voice Sarah I know because <laughs> when I first saw the like there's also some Asian looking man I was like which one is this where Javert is gonna like as, you know, we've had all the police spy stuff has been sprinkled in, so you're like, mm-hmm. oh, is this when he's going to do that? Is it Jean Valjean? But I was like, it's Ravel! And I was like, oh no. <laughs> but, like, I'm actually really gassed for this being what Mabeuf's fate might be. Mm. <laughs> like, my one was purposely, it was just me being bitter at Marius. Mm, mm, mm. So I hadn't really thought how it would actually legit go down, but I'm mm. like, yeah, old man, chat name of this next chapter. Well, the old man, but mm. spiritually it's yeah, old man. Which <laughs> <laughs> is just this podcast. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Keep going, queen, in brackets, <laughs> old man. <laughs> Let us explain what had happened. So, Anjolas and his friends were near the grain stores when the dragoons had charged, so in that initial, like, skirmish. And Anjolas, Kufrat, Combefer were among those who'd escaped, shouting to the barricades. And they came across an old man making his way down the rue Les Diguiers. <laughs> What attracted their attention was that this fellow was zigzagging as if he were drunk. And it's been raining all morning. And it's raining quite heavily when they come across him. And he had his hat in his hand. So they're like, okay, what's going on here? And Kifarek actually recognized him as Per Mabuf because he'd actually accompanied Marius to the old man's front door several times. Mm. And I was like, oh. Familiar with the book-loving old warden's quiet and more than retiring habits, he's astonished to see him in the midst of this tumult. (laughs) You know, he's a few steps away from cavalry charges, and, like, bullets are flying. So he goes up to him, and the 25-year-old, so he got his age, 25-year-old writer, and the octogenarian had this exchange. Monsieur Mabeuf, go home. (laughs) Why? There's going to be fighting. That's fine. Saber cuts and gunfire, Monsieur Mabeuf. That's fine. 
Cannon fire. That's fine. <laughs> Where are you people going? We're going to bring the government down. That's fine. <laughs> and he began to follow them. And after that, he's not said anything. Uh, he's been offered arms, uh, which he's refused with a shake of the head. He's advanced almost to the front row of the column. And his movements, he looks like a man on the march. Like, his expression is completely like, he's not there. He's a man asleep. But he's so purposeful, like, he's not mm. getting off behind. That there's, like, whispers in the crowd where they're like, oh, the old boy's enraged. And there's a rumor spreading that he's a former member of the convention, an old regicide. Mm. So the crowd has turned down a street and Gavroche is singing again at the front. I'm not going to sing his song. It's like, you know, more of what we've had. Tin, 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 four pen, tin. And there's rhymes, like, good job. I'm sure we would lose something in the English translation. <laughs> Final chapter. The band keeps growing. A tall man with grey hair joined them. <laughs> His bold and doughty demeanour was noted by Kufrek and Jolas and Combefer, but none of them know him. Mm. Gavrash is too busy singing, whistling and humming ahead and banging on the shutters of stops with his hammerless pistol so he doesn't pay attention to the man. Oh, so that's when I was like, is it, is it, is it, is it? A tall man, you say? A tall man? And they happen to pass by Kufarek's front door and he's like, that's lucky. <laughs> I forgot my purse and I've lost my hat. Are you doing so a quick I guess costume like, change, guys? I'm a little bit sweaty. Literally. Like, we all got in our brunch outfits together, but like now we're go- kind of going to a secondary event. <laughs> and they're just like, okay, gay boy, you can change. <laughs> well, the riot will wait out here for you. Yeah. Guys, I'm so sorry, but my mascara is like a little bit off. I do need to go and like touch up a little bit, but I will mm-hmm. be five minutes maximum. Also, the pranks, like, we didn't do enough <laughs> at brunch, so I do just need to top up on the fireball. But I will be back five minutes. I swear to God, five minutes. Less less than five, less than five. I, come back, I promise. I won't even lock the door. Like, you can keep the door, clo- like, open. I, I'm just going to run up right now. <laughs> and I, like, in, in my, this is where I would insert the Ficklet into the canon events. Because uh-huh. as far as they know, Marius is still fucking comatose on the floor <laughs> where they left him, that Combefer's like, don't you let him, don't get dragged into whatever he's doing again. Like, we've had it. Remember you said yeah. you were done with him. Like, don't forget Kufrek. is like, no, 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 I promise, I promise. It's like, don't stick to your guns on this one. <laughs> don't even look. You know what corner he's in. Don't even look. I, I, I will be able to tell if you even look in the corner that he's in. Because for a second I thought, you know, when Kufrex first like, oh, that's so lucky we're at the door, that I thought he was gonna, I thought he was gonna be like, I know in the book he he never mm. said I'm done with him, like blah blah blah, blah but yeah. that's my canon. That I thought he was gonna go back on himself and be like, let me just go check on Marius. So when he was like, I forgot my purse, it was just like yes. Mm. <laughs> so. Kufrak, he runs in, he grabs his bag, and a large square chest the size of a travelling bag that he had concealed in his dirty laundry. Mm. Secrets in a chest. Um, <laughs> sex and a, boy box. <laughs> that's that kind of feels the vibe. <laughs> in this dirty laundry, you say? <laughs> when no one would think to look. No one being your fucking annoying housemate who <laughs> won't leave. Yeah, as he's running out, his caretaker... Of the building, it's like, oh, Kufrek, there's someone here for you. 
And Cooper X like, to hell with them. And he's like, oh, but you've been waiting, they've been waiting for you for more than an hour. And out comes a young worker of some kind, small, thin, pale, freckled, in a holy shirt, who looked more like a girl dressed up as a boy than a man. Mm, weird. But speaks with a voice that sounded not in the least like a woman's. Monsieur Marius, if you please. It's like, oh, he's not here. <laughs> so I guess he did peek in the corner mm. to check if Marius would be there. Oh, will he be back this evening? He's like, I got no idea. Speaking for myself, I shan't be back. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, because I, like I'm just not coming back. And the young man was like, oh, well, can I go with you? Like, I'll carry your chest for you. And he's like, well, I'm going to the barricade. Like, Do you want me to go with you? It's like, I mean, if you want, like no one's stopping you. The streets <laughs> belong to everyone. <laughs> but he gives his, he runs off to join his friends and gave one of them the chest to carry. Huh. So <laughs> we'll really need this in the long nights ahead, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we could imagine because Combefire's got his two pistols like in his waistband, so he's got free arms to carry his boyfriend's chest. <laughs> yeah, and it's not until a good quarter of an hour later that Kufrak notices that the young man has followed them. Mm. A rabble does not determine precisely where it goes, as we explain. It is at the mercy of the wind, so the crowd is just getting pushed where it's going to go. That's why it was so lucky that they happened to go by Kufarek's house. Mm. And without really knowing how they ended up there, they found themselves in the Rue Saint-Denis. And that's where all the excitement ends, because I don't know. It's Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like from not even skimming, just from my eyes, like alighting (laughs) on the next chapter, I'm like, oh, Hugo's going to be teaching me about something. (laughs) (laughs) Right when everything's ramping up. Of course. Like, that's just how it goes, right? That was an exciting one. Like, I, it was a really thrilling one to read to come back to. I was just like, ah, plot! Mm. But also like, oh my god, the barricade is so soon. that I was like, <laughs> wow, we're so close to the end. It's only over 300 pages to go. Okay. <laughs> so in, in, a, in a soft estimate, we've got like 50 episodes left. Oh, it's the final countdown. <laughs> it's practically over. You're going to have to think about where to go next for your long-winded, <laughs> rambling podcast. Enjoy me. Yeah, and if you've been marathoning this in, like, 2027, um, you've only got 50 hours left of this podcast. <laughs> when we're down to feeling like we're only 100 pages away, I think I'll legitimately be really sad. <laughs> I was just thinking about what those last few pages are going to feel like. Yeah. I mean, we are like, what's it called? Not counting the chickens, but um, yeah, yeah, we're a little bit jumping the gun, but it does feel so like, you know, we're at the barricades and so it's going to end soon. But, but in the, in the novel, like as we are finding out, like, unlike in most adaptations where it's kind of like the barricade happens and then they're dead and then it's over. There's actually yeah, quite you get a like lot 15 of... more minutes of stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's like a whole digression left. Yeah, that's true. We, we still got 300 pages left. I, I'm like at the tail end of my period. So like oh, suddenly I was like, oh my God, am I about to get really emotional that I can see <laughs> the end? And I'm like, the end doesn't feel like another year. <laughs> but we better do it so I'm not on my period or I'll c- cry live on air. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what? <laughs> That's two years, I'm afraid, because if uh, there's 50 episodes left and we do one every two weeks, um, oh yeah, we do 25 okay. episodes a year. So God, when you put it like that, that's... 
<laughs> okay, don't start mourning yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got There's until a long at least go. September 2024. But, um, you know, whenever people, like in the past, I feel like I don't get asked this anymore now that we're like, most people we know are fairly solidly like out of uni and stuff. So we all know that we're just like, screaming and crying all the time and mm. just doing our best and like trying to enjoy life i would i never ever in my life have had answers for the like where do you see yourself in five years or whatever i mm. could have been like i'll be doing lame this podcast <laughs> <laughs> i'll still be doing lame this podcast <laughs> and there's like actually like not derogatory like that's there's something kind of like really wonderful about that for me don't know mm. about the poor listeners <laughs> their corpses being dragged along really <laughs> slowly behind us but it's like wow this is like a stable thing I'll be doing <laughs> yeah I, I think the same and also like the the fact that it's gone on this long means that like I'm still learning so much like I, I, as the like 20 minutes or whatever we talked about before the episode started like that I still get really excited about finding new things to bring to you. And I'm like, look, we can still learn stupid things about this man that we've been like doing this for for however many years. And we've still got two more left, like at least two more you left because there could be another four month break where we yeah. don't do anything. But, yeah. And that's beautiful. Like just the that's... thought of this ending, you've all had to listen to us pontificate like we're Victor Hugo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six years. So... I kind of want us to go for another three years because then it will be like we could do a ten-year anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's if we somehow manage to finish it before ten years, because like knowing us, like anything could happen. <laughs> it could naturally take another six. Um, <laughs> we would come back for a ten-year anniversary. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we'll be doing a whole other long ass book um, at yeah. the time. So we just do a 10-year retrospective on, on there. <laughs> and we take 10 years to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Some new fool who's never read the book becomes our reader. We re-record the first 100 episodes. Yeah, this is like the opposite of the turkey blot, where every year they rewatch. Paul Blart, this yeah. is, it takes 10 years to read Lamers, and then you get a new person. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes them 10 years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We're the opposite of your fast fashion podcast, where you consume the same thing over and over. <laughs> I, do I still get to be on it, or do you kick me off and then you become Nemo? Oh god, I don't want to have to do a PhD. <laughs> Okay, so we just keep on adding. So in 20 years' time, there'll be five hosts of the podcast. In 20 years' time, there'll only be two new people. <laughs> wow, so much for you to look forward to. I have, like, haven't we also, we've added, when people ask you what you're doing in the next three years, you can safely say, I'm listening to the Lamer's podcast. And that will add some sort of calm amongst the storm uh, mentality to your life. Yeah. In these uncertain times, don't you want to know that we'll slow, still be slowly dragging our way through this book? Every so often you'll get a little uh, 70% correct fact about Victor Hugo. <laughs> um, and on that note, uh, this has been Lamer's podcast. Your, your sweet, sweet uh, six years. <laughs> six years of Braden Barricade, six more! <laughs> Uh, produced by me, Nima Martin, and Julian Yap. It was a Captain's Collections podcast. If you have any comments, 
questions or suggestions like what we should do for the next three years to pad out the time real good um then you can send them to our email lamospodcast at gmail.com or our twitter at lamospodcast or to our tumblr at bread and barricades our audio director is jade who you can find on her website jdwsrv.bandcamp.com if you would like to leave us a review saying how you just feel so calm and certain about your future because of our podcast you can on uh itunes or on spotify or wherever you want to leave a review and you can donate money to us on our coffee or patreon which are in the show notes thank you for listening thank you for your patience um (laughs) they're used to it by now (laughs) bread and barricades podcast went out to get a pack of cigarettes i don't know if they're coming home We always do, but you just don't know how long we're going to be gone. We're visiting our other family. One of our podcast parents was a royalist and one was a monarchist. And it wasn't my fault, Victor Hugo. It was it was the fact that their politics didn't align. Uh... Okay. Yeah, that's the end. Okay. <laughs>